Everybody, this is G, and you're listening to the Sit Rep Modern Miniatures Wargaming Podcast, and this is our holiday edition. Joining us tonight, we have Ralph. Hello. We have Jim. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And we have Chris. Hello. So, uh, let's see. Ralph's over in the merry old England, getting ready for Yuletide celebrations. I'm assuming. I'd sleep. And sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with this podcast. We have people all over the world, so coordinating everybody's time zones is a little tricky. Um, on top of that, we've got Chris up there in the Great White North. Hello. You, how much snow you got? None. 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 Well, uh, it, it, it got. It, oh, don't start, Chris, because you're going to get all the global warming people all up yeah, in arms. <laughs> well, it's it's really warm right now. It's uh, melting. We've got some ice, and that's wow. about it. And then you got Jim down there probably having to put on long pants because it's, what, 75 down there in good old Florida? I don't know what you guys are talking about, global warming. <laughs> it got down to the 70s today. Oh, no. freezing. <laughs> I, it's it's oh, barbaric. You'd be digging up the winter parka, wouldn't you? You'd be digging up the winter parka. And here I was walking... Walker. One day a year that I'm actually like have to wear like you know a, a windbreaker or a sweater or something. <laughs> and I'm walking around downtown Chicago today in just a thick pullover, and it was like 40 degrees. It was great, no big deal. So, all right, so let's get this show started. So let's do a little catching up because it's been a little bit since our last episode. Uh, Ralph, what are you up to? Well, I've been taking a break from building my kilos i'll probably do that during the holidays and i got myself a spectre ops hummer so nice. i built that up um i have posted some pictures up um with the it's got like the the bull bar on the front it's got the camp the canvas back on it it's got some uh comms gear on it it's got a sat uh satellite dish on it or the the the, the the, the antenna and some um, smoke launchers and it's got an M2 remote gun for the turret so that's sitting at the top of that so that's going to be uh, I've done it up as a spec ops um, sort of transport for them So, and I primed the Puma drone as well so that's primed white and it's also got a coat over the top of it as white because when I was looking at pictures of them they actually are white which is interesting really I would think they'd be almost yeah. like an off grey it looks, uh, there's lots of different pictures. So you've got like the production shots and the, the things ones in the look. It looks white. It might be an off gray, but I'm just going to leave it white because it'll look fine and then just paint the black bits in. Nice. And then that'll be, that'll then get a milliput base. But I've put a magnet in the base as well so I can actually take it off the top of the stand. Excellent. Um, so I've magnetized that ready for playing around and hopefully when Spectre releases their drone rules. Sounds which, good. Which will be hopefully soon. Yeah. Excellent. Anything else? Um, well, after our last pod, uh, podcast where Jim was sort of volunteered me into doing possibly <laughs> running Ghost Ops, I'm starting to write up some stuff for Ghost Ops and getting some stuff ready for streaming. So I cannot <laughs> deny or confirm anything. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for that. And, this, is, uh, this is a beast of war on tabletop rules. If you thought of the idea, 
It's assumed you have pre-volunteered. Yeah. <laughs> Those who dare win. That's right. That's the motto Perfect. I live by. Um, they just came out with their, was it Central America? You sent me the yeah. link for? Yeah, it's the Central America source book just dropped today in PDF, which isn't too bad. So that's two two source books they've done now. So they've done Africa. Uh, now they've done Central, Central and South America. So Wow. Excellent. Now, are they ever going to be a print option as well, or is it only going to be PDF? Um, it depends when you go and drive through RPG. I think at the moment they're just PDF. I know with the core rules, you can buy them through drive through as print. Yep, that's what I did. And as a PDF. Um, I got my rules in print because I backed them on Kickstarter when, when it went live on Kickstarter. Um, so I got some of the other stuff as part of the sort of the stretch goals excellent but the rest of the stuff that's been coming out i've just been getting off drive through rpg I, I, in a way i prefer pdf you know, i've got a kindle and things so i can actually put the rules onto that and not have to worry about carrying four billion rule books when i go around and do things well that always makes sense but there's nothing not like wrong the with smell everything. of a page and a feel of an actual page and yeah. I, i'm a little old school when it comes to those kind of things i like oh, my I books don't... I love books. I mean, I've got uh, tidying. I've been tidying up around here, uh, ready for the Christmas, and so I've got all my Force on Force books together. I've got the Spec Ops book there. I've got all of the Skirmish Sangan books all together as well. So I do get the book. It's just easy, I think, now, sort of putting stuff onto the Kindle and dragging Kindle, dragging the Kindle with me. Excellent. Did you want to talk a little bit more about the Ghost Ops now? Well, or do you want to? I can. I okay. mean, um, do you I've got, kind I've of have a layout my... what you're thinking? Yeah, well, I've been, because Ghost Ops, when I've read it and when I've looked at other sort of games of that ilk, yes, Ghost Ops looking at Spec Ops and, and Special Operations, but it, it lends itself to, I would say, a Tom Clancy style of game. Okay. You know, sort of that techno thriller style of um setting so i've been i decided to reinstall the last two splinter cell games and ghost recon wildlands on the pc <laughs> so i've been playing through conviction and blacklist so that's given us some ideas and of course ghost recon wildlands is just full of wonderful ideas anyway excellent um so but the main idea being that the the in the in the rules, you have a safe house. Uh-huh. So the safe house for the players is going to be a super galaxy. So the, bit, the converted uh, transport uh, yep. plane. So that's going to be the base of operations because then it becomes a movable base of operations, which, uh, which I thought was a, an interesting idea for the for the unit. But I'm not going to be using their ICO um, setting for the for the unit. It's going to be totally shall we say, a made-up uh, unit of uh, people. Sure. But I still need to decide where it sits, whether it'll be NATO, UN, or probably the U.S. government or the president. I haven't decided yet. I, uh, I, I don't know. NATO sounds good because you can be all-inclusive with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I may pick Jim's brains. <laughs> or you, could you do I like Interpol or some, you know, intelligence agency? My, my only, uh, my only um, suggestion with that would be because we were talking in some earlier conversations about this as well. Mm -hmm. Is the choice of the uh, you said a C five super galaxy? Yeah. 
That's a really, really big aircraft. You'll be limited. Yeah. yeah. A lot of infrastructure. You're, you're only going to be able to, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to be like super top tier elite, you know, guys with vehicles and, you know, you can park, park light vehicles, light tanks inside of C5 mm-hmm. Galaxies if you really wanted to get serious. Um, I remember one of the other ideas you were kicking around, and I'm not trying to make a suggestion, but it does give you a little bit more flexibility is with the Hercules. Yeah. The Hercules can get lower. It can provide tactical air support, like a, mm-hmm. like, like, a, like a Spectre gunship. It can land out in the open in certain areas, like deserts or whatever. Um, and you can land it in much smaller airfields. Yeah. And a smaller force or parent organization, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. might it might be a little more plausible. If you wanted to go with this, you can go with the Galaxy. I'm not trying to, yeah, to say you I, go with it. I but it's, it's pretty really much going to be either NATO or or uh, NATO or United States. Yeah. So when we say NATO, we say basically United States. <laughs> it's almost the same thing. <laughs> it is the special. Um, originally, I was thinking actually using a Super Hercules because I was looking, you know, to see what the most current and up-to-date version of that type of transport is, you know, because um, you've got the you've got the the Galaxy, you've got the Hercules, and there's another one as well. Well, you've got I mean, the uh, C-17 Globemaster. Yeah, that was the other one as well. Looking at the Globemaster. Either one would work. It's just what kind of well, you know, and maybe we we could talk about it with the players, or yeah, you can talk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's your campaign by all means. Yeah, it's your world. Is, uh, it's um, you know what kind of uh, mm-hmm. what kind of group we're gonna be. Yeah. If we're gonna be like super secret, super well funded. We have like our own vehicles, our own you know heavy weapons. Then maybe the C five Galaxy would be better because it has that heavier lift capacity and better range. Yeah. If we're really gonna be globe trotting, if we're gonna be more uh, more regional, mm-hmm. like the Middle East or in Latin America where there's fewer airfields that can land a craft that size or wherever we go, we're going to get noticed. You can't exactly yeah. hide a C5 galaxy. No, you, know? no, you can't hide the galaxy. So if we're going to be more covert or if we want to be like a smaller organization, if we wanted to be private, like a PMC thing, that would probably have to be, you know, a smaller aircraft. Again, it's totally, uh, it be- it's, it's a good, it's a good question. And it's, it's going to be about like what kind of uh, group we, uh, or I should say you really want to run. Yeah. I mean, the other thing as well, you were saying, Jay, about um, intelligence, they have added, I think it's in the expanded rules, has got the rules for intelligence operators and or Interpol, that type of, you know, international police. Uh So there are, because the way the rules work is you have a, if I remember correctly, you have a career. Let's be the way I said, I need to go through the rules. We have a specialist specialization. Mm Mm-hmm. That be you know sniper assault uh, K nine unit things like that, um, but they've added in these these ones as well. So it's it's really going to be down. I'll come up with something for the players, you know, a, a, a organization, and let the players think about where they want to slot within that. But the other thing as well is it will be a small unit. So my my uh, concept as well was basing it sort of around Rainbow Six. Sure. Uh, around that 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 sort of nucleus that that's in the original Rainbow Six novel, which is a really good read if anybody hasn't read it. I do recommend Rainbow Six as a as a as a novel to read. It's really good. But also then a bit around some of the other stuff that that sort of Tom Clancy did when it was small units because he had the upset up center novels and he also had Netforce, which are two interesting series to read as well. So it's just get working it out and working with the players because the way I'll run the game and I do this with a lot of the stuff I do, especially with role-playing is I see the GM as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not going to be 
I'm not going to, you know, if I get rules wrong, I'll say in this, you know, if we stream it, which hopefully we will, I'll say, you know, I will get rules wrong. I may misinterpret rules. Don't worry about it because it's all about the story and the story that you want to be engaged with and the story I want to tell with you as a collaborative group. Because that's really what it is. We're collaborative storytellers just with some dice, you know, on sitting on the on the side there. Yeah. So yeah. So we'll take it from there and see what happens. Sounds if good. people enjoy themselves, people enjoy themselves. If they don't, they can yell at us and then can sort of. <laughs> How many people are you thinking? Um, I currently run a, I'm part of a D&D group. And we've got five players, so I may probably look about five. I think okay. five's probably a nice even number to handle. I've ran a game before. I ran the original Mayfair James Bond game mm. a long time ago, and I did that for two players. Okay. Which was an interesting way, because then you had, you know, you could, you could, shall we say, shrink the story sound almost. Sure. Because you had then just two, operat- two operators, say, running around, you know, killing the bad guys and investigating the Bond you know the the villain. Um, I've I've played in games when there've been more than five, and I think that becomes unwieldy okay. unless you're a, unless you're a games master like Matt Mercer, and then you know. <laughs> well, I think honest. five is a good number Everybody to start with. Yeah, especially for something like that. Yeah, I think you know it lends itself because then you can have somebody. You know, you can have a group that says go out, but you can also have people in support if they want to do a support role. Excellent. Well, it sounds exciting. I'm very uh, anxious to see how it turns out and get playing. I, I'm paging through my rule book as we speak, so <laughs> it looks very promising. It really does. Anything else you want to add on to that for now? Nothing else. Okay. That's all I've been doing apart from putting my feet up. Now I've got. I'm not back at work until the second of August. Oh, the second of second January. of August. Wow. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Wow, England second really of- has a liberal holiday. Yeah. You know. Uh, I work at university, so I'm off all this week, <laughs> and then I'm off until the 2nd of August, uh, January. Nice. Very good. How about you, Jim? Okay. I'm going to need you guys to just take a moment, kind of sit back, hold on to something, okay, <laughs> and, and just be, be cool. All right? This is going to be a little bit of a, of a shock. I am actually painting some miniatures. What? what? I know, right? Oh, my God. What's going on? Um so, okay, recently there's been a lot going on. Um, those of you who may be on, on Tabletop, PeaceOfWar.com, know that I've been writing uh, Dark Star rules uh, pretty feverishly since uh, pretty much the week before Thanksgiving. Um, I won't go into it too much here because it's not really modern warfare, but suffice it to say I've been writing about a 130, 150-page rulebook, and I've been trying to get it out uh, before Christmas. Uh, it might be New Year's, but I'm definitely trying to get it done before the year, uh, before the year is out. Um, that's a very chunky, beefy 1980s-style tactical game. A lot of rules. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, formidable project. I've been putting it off for six years, and um, I finally got enough uh, uh, people, you know, pestering. I don't want to say pestering, but you know, people asking me and asking me and asking me again, and then they started contributing money, and so I said, like, okay, well now I got to do it. Um, so, uh, that project's coming along well. It's been eating up most of my hobby time though. Um, that and Christmas carnage. Yes. Um, maybe get into that a little bit later. Christmas carnage is, uh, every year we have a silly little thing on, uh, on tabletop beasts of war right around this time of year where some nefarious, wicked, demented force or another 
um, gets the bright idea that Christmas is terrible and no no one's going to get any presents this year. So they raise an army and they launch an assault at Santa's North Pole Winter Village. Um, so we have all these little Christmas figurines or whatever. We've actually built an army of those because we're demented like that. You know, little uh, little elves, little reindeer cavalry, polar bear heavy infantry, things like that. And we put an army against them. We have a game and we do we do a battle report. And it gets obviously very silly, very fun. Um, it's just a fun way to say Merry Christmas to everybody on the site. Um, so we're rolling out the previous four years that we've been doing it. We've been doing it since 2014. That's been rolling out uh, on the, in the projects page. Meanwhile, this game, this year's game, has now been conceived, set up, run, photographed. The essays have been written. Everything's been submitted. Uh, Lance has been working on some of the uh, cover graphics for that. So we hope to see that actually published on on tabletop, beastofwar.com, on 24th of September. Oh, oh, now I got the wrong month. <laughs> 20, everyone's got the wrong month this, this stream. 24th of December, Christmas Eve is a Monday. We're having this rolled out on Monday, Christmas Eve, so everyone can see if Santa Claus and his uh, North Pole Defense Force yet again stands tall and for Christmas Carnage Episode 5 defends... Uh, you know, the happiness of Christmas, you know, for good little boys and girls all over the world and et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. Um, so anyway, uh, for modern warfare, we've been ex- experimenting with our continuing. We were talking about this on some previous streams or some previous podcasts, the, um, you know, war gaming at a distance. So what we're doing is we're, uh, we're managing to use some web conferencing software where we can reach out and engage with some people in the community, regardless of where they are in the world, as soon as you, uh, you know, settle up the time zones or whatever. Ralph can tell you how well about that. Um, set up the time zones. We can log in and we can actually have a game at a distance, you know, moving around units on a shared desktop, you know, things like that. So what we've been doing lately is some engagements from the opening hours of the Six-Day War. So we're looking at June 5th, 1967. Specifically, um, the Israelis versus the Egyptians in the Gaza Strip. So the opening part of that war, uh, for those who may not be familiar, of course, everyone knows about the big airstrikes that kind of kicked that off. The opening part of that war was only against the Egyptians, and those are the battles that we're doing in in these uh, games. The system we're using is um, Arab-Israeli Wars by Avalon Hill. That's kind of the granddaughter to... uh, the original Panzer Blitz series. He goes from Panzer Blitz to Panzer Leader to Arab Israeli Wars. And we're doing uh, General Tal's uh, 84th Division uh, invading into the battles of Rafah, Khan Yunus, and Gaza. This is in the opening hours of the uh, June, uh, the uh, Six Day War in 1967. So if you kind of picture the, the Mediterranean in your head, okay, where everyone knows where Israel is at, where the Mediterranean coast kind of goes from north and south. And then you hit the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt and it moves to an east or west kind of a line where that bottom corner, so to speak, the bottom curve of the Mediterranean coast is that's right where the Gaza Strip is. And uh, the Gaza Strip was a very volatile place um, in 1967, uh, even worse than it is today, obviously. And uh, this was one of the, the, the opening bones of contention for that war. So we've been doing a lot of war gaming. Uh, for, for you know, for our moderns, there in in these battles, I've got Israeli uh, Pattons. Those are M48A3 specifically, the old 90 millimeter guns. Um, M113, no, not, no M113s. They're still using M3 half tracks at that time, because uh, of course these Israelis are, are you know building everything secondhand. This was long before the Merkaba, obviously. 
um, up against, uh, you know, militia of the uh, 20th PLA division and then hardcore Egyptian infantry. We've got, uh, Egyptian infantry of uh, 11th brigade, 9th brigade at 7th infantry division, anti-tank, uh, guns. Those are SU 100s left over from world war two. Uh, Joseph Stalin threes left over from the very end of world war two. Actually, I don't think they ever actually saw combat in world war two, but when the war was over, the Soviets had all these things laying around. They started selling them off to their client states. There's a brigade of heavy armor. So you get to put JS threes up against M 48, um, patents. Wow. And, uh, also some centurions. You see, yeah, you, Tall's main brigade, the 7th Armored Brigade of his 84th Division, is built around two uh, two battalions in this battle, the 82nd and the 77th. 77th is probably the more famous one. That's the one that's going to be at the Heights of Courage, uh, the Golan Heights in the 73 War. Um, those are mostly patents at this time. They would upgrade to Centurions later. And then um, the 82nd, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the 82nd Battalion had all their, uh, had all their Centurions. So, you know, T-55, Centurions, SU-100s, um, Things like that. Um, it's it's a it's a big battle. We we may have pushed it a little bit too far. Uh, I wanted to see you know to give this 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 method of gaming to give it a bit of a stress test. Um, and so this game has again insurgents as well as regular forces. It's got tanks. It's got infantry. It's got offboard artillery. It's got onboard artillery, mortars, smoke screens, blocks, improved positions, trenches. Combat engineers to clear all these obstacles for the Israelis. Israeli paratroopers mounted in half tracks are doing the tailgate jump. Um, that's that's a 202nd Brigade, a 202nd Brigade of uh, 84th Division. Um, at least three different flavors of Arab forces. Like I said, we have Arab tanks, Arab armor, and PLA, uh, Palestine Liberation Army militia, in the streets of uh, what's today the the, uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, yeah, so we got about half that game done, and we had a call. It was like a four-hour meeting, so we're going to have to go back and either reevaluate, try a different uh, – either finish the game or, you know, try a smaller game or maybe take some of the rules out, take some of the elements out, because um, we, we, we may have pushed it a little bit. Uh, but we still had fun. Uh, it was still a successful, uh, still a successful meeting. Everyone's learning a lot. Everyone's enjoying the games. And uh, getting a taste of how complicated – and how involved um, command tactical uh, level warfare really can be. Um, so that's what we've been doing for uh, for modern combat uh, in the past uh, couple of weeks. Nice. That sounds huge. <laughs> it's um, all together. We got about 120 counters on the board. Each counter is about 50 men. So uh, roughly either 50 men or five tanks. It's a platoon based game. So yeah, it's uh it's, it's pretty substantial. Um, it's the cut-down version from that's actually published in the Arab-Israeli War rulebook. That thing is huge. That covers pretty much the whole thing from Gaza itself down through Khan Yunus, through Rafah. Now you're into the Sinai Peninsula proper. Uh, uh, Sheikh Shuedi, uh, down through, through the Jaradi Pass, and then finally the El Arish Road. Um, that's a good 30 miles of desert buildings, roads. Um, it's one of the only, it's one of really only two major battles that take place in the 1967 war. Um, but, uh, it was a challenge. We had some fun. Uh, we might need to step back and tweak it a little, uh, but we're going to try it again. And, uh, we are learning and, uh, I'm learning how to run these games. And of course my players are learning how to play these games and, uh, yeah, we're making progress. So we'll stick with it and, uh, see where it goes. Jim, do you remember a really old game called Aircav? Aircav. 
Yeah. Uh, the closest I came to playing anything called Air Cab was Boots and Saddles from GDW Assaults. No, this was a old hex hex game Air Cab. I had a copy of it, and I'm trying to remember who did it now. Um, which was an interesting one. It was predominantly helicopter combat, so you had I excellent. Think I think yeah, it was Heinz and Apaches, you know, taking on each other. I'm going to have a look now and see if I can spot that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much Boots and Saddles expansion for GDW Assault. It's 1985 expansion for a 1983 game, so it's pretty old. Um, but it was uh, mostly mostly Germany, uh, theoretical Germany, and uh, you know the, the whole Team Yankee thing. This was by West End Games, and it came out in 1985. It's on Board Game Geek. Okay. Um, yes, I remember because I, I used to own a copy of it, and it was um, two player tactical level simulation helicopter combat from 1975 through to 1990. Okay, unit represent uh, individual vehicles, helicopters, and squads. Uh, we're, 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 one, we're one entire echelon level above that. What you're, what you're describing is level one gaming, yeah. tactical gaming. This is level two, command tactical. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this particular scenario, there are no aircraft. Uh, amazingly, a lot of people think the Israeli Air Force should be in every 1967 game there is. Number one, people put too many aircraft on wargaming tables, I feel. And number two, the Egyptian Air Force has already been shattered, and the Israeli Air Force is now busy bombing the crap out of Syria and Jordan. Again, this is the morning of June 5th, 1967. So some of, I just bring that up because some of our players were and observers were a little surprised that I have a 1967 spearhead Israeli game in the Six-Day War and not a single Israeli Air Force aircraft in sight. And uh, that's historically what happened. You know, the, Air, the Israeli Air Force is only so big, it has to attack these targets one at a time. And it was able to do that because of a lack of communication between these Arab states and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But when that first ground force went in, they had no air cover whatsoever. Um, at least not tactical bombing of air targets. Those aircraft had, were busy blowing up the Egyptian Air Force while it was still on the runways um, earlier that earlier that morning. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, Chris, you're up. I haven't been doing a lot of modern stuff. I've been working on my crew for my UAZ that I just got uh, the light machine gun for from Spectre. And I've been working on a fire team for my DPR for my Ukrainian project off and on. But other than that, uh, just been working a lot right now. <laughs> Damn real I... life. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we're starting a, this is not a test uh, campaign here pretty soon. Oh, wow. Okay. Excellent. That's it for me though. That's it, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, for me to round it out, um, I'm still trying to get through painting. My guys for uh, my SOCR boat, I don't know what it is. I just sit down and then something else comes up. <laughs> and then uh, I pulled out a rule book I bought two years ago from Little Wars. Uh, it's a little convention that we have here in Illinois. And I think they have other locations throughout the country as well. Um, it's called Hind Commander. It's about helicopter warfare. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, there. Yeah, well, now uh, I have to return what I was going to buy you for Christmas. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this one is designed for smaller scale uh, miniatures, so like two, three, and six mils. Um, you know, you basically are uh, leading a, a group of helicopters, so like a squadron or a company. Um, 
you know, and you do obviously tank hunting missions, infantry insertions. So anything you can do with a helicopter, you can do with this game. Um, so I did buy some helicopters from Pico Armor to play with this game. So some three mil? Those are three mil. Um, I'm thinking I might go up to six or ten, to be honest with you. I don't know yet. They're really small. They're tiny, tiny. They are very tiny. So um, I'll have to see uh, once I actually get playing it. But it, it's, a, it's a pretty intense rule book. It kind of reminds me of some uh, late 80s, early 90s rule books. So it has that flavor to it, at least in my opinion. It, it's very interesting to go through. So that is what I am working on at this point uh, for Modern Related. So, so are, those, are, are the scenarios in that game, are those like theoretical or, or yeah, realistic? Yeah, they're mostly theoretical. I, I imagine you could... You know, like you, the fold the gap and, you know, what we yeah. do in uh, Iraq or, you know, Afghanistan. You could put all those, you know, into play as well. So it's it's pretty open to interpretation and how you want to design a scenario. But, uh, yeah. Um, Soviet um, Spetsnaz and uh, air mobile insertions in Afghanistan, 80 to 89, might be interesting to look into. Yeah. I'd most definitely, and I know a few guys over on the Beast of War site that would be really happy to see some stuff in uh, small scale, you know, with our 6 to 10 mil. Mm. Uh, Tauros and Commander Rob would be two of them that I can think of. So, But yeah, yeah. that's that's what I've been uh, working on. You know, obviously I got my Ghost Ops rule book. I've got to look at, get brushed up on that. I already got an idea for a skill package for my character, so it's going to involve demolitions. It's <laughs> oh, there you go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. This will be ex- great. So, in the news, in the news. So, there are several things. Who would like to go first? Anyone? Go on, I'll let you do go first, Jay, because uh, the, the main one being, okay. I think, the Spectre announcement of sort this week. Yeah, there's uh, two big announcements that came out over the last week or so. Uh, the first one is that here, everybody here at the Sit Rep podcast would like to extend congrats to Matt from Spectre um, Miniatures and his wife for the birth of their baby boy. Um, congrats to them. Um, and then to no more sleep. No more sleep. Well, I don't think he got much sleep. If you ever follow him on Facebook, he's yeah. all over the world. It makes you wonder what he really does, you know? Uh, he's in places like I'm in Somalia and this mm-hmm. is my breakfast and it's a piece of something and it looks like rice. So it, it makes you wonder what he really does for a living. Um, and then uh, other Spectre news, they are going to be at Adepticon in 2019. Awesome. I am blown away. So I, I'm really excited. I commented when the, on the announcement. I don't think I've heard back, so I'm going to have to physically reach out to Steven and Matt. Um, maybe even Jess and say, Hey, you're going to be at Adepticon. Let's get together. Let's yeah. get some stuff, you know, under camera, you know, they haven't been, had an opportunity to make it to the Ireland studio, but why not bring it to the beast of war us studio? We're literally 40 minutes from the convention center. So, um, you know, we can see if we can get some stuff there and then talk about some other things that might include a boot camp. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, we have yeah. to talk. So no pressure to anybody, but, you know. Um, so also really exciting news. They, and they've had a lot of stuff. You know, their um, new set of miniatures. Did one of you guys get or, uh, the new set? The, is that the uh, Amber? Got, 
I've got the I've got the 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 ember. Okay. I've got the ember set from Black Black Power uh, Black Powder Red Earth, which is I think we'll cover the last one, but I'll go over again. Is the absolutely astounding set of miniatures. I think Stevens outdone himself with the sculpting on them. Excellent. I know that I know that they would have worked closely with the guys over at um, Black Powder, you know, to get the, the the look right. But also working with the guys at Black Powder for their miniatures for the Black Powder board game that's going to be coming out whenever the Black Powder gets around to doing that, supposedly yeah. next year. Um, but the miniatures are absolutely superb. They really, I'd recommend anybody there. They're slightly more expensive than the standard packs mm-hmm. by a couple by a couple of pound, but you you get the six the six operators you get the six set of optics which are separate so they're, they're a little bit fiddly to, to fit to the helm oh are they yes the 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 additional optics that you can buy from spec because i've got um the minute especially that they um what's called task force operators come with the the sort of the the, the, the new style of helm you know the you're talking about optics that go on the weapons or go on the helmets? On the helmets. So, so it's like your NVGs? Yes. Holy crap. This is at what scale? 28. 28. Man, those are going to be some small bits. They are small pieces of um, metal. Um, they are quite fiddly to put on, but I use Gorilla Glue on, on mine and they seem to stick fine. It's just cutting them to get them on. But the the ones that come with Ember are the standard NVGs, but you can buy... NVGs as separates, so they come as in packs of six. So you get six on like a mini sprue. You can get the NVGs. You can get what's called a smart op, uh-huh. smart opticals, and you can get the four, the quad, which really? you all see yeah. from people like which we also in like Zero Dark Thirty with the seals wearing the quad and stuff. Yeah. So did you guys ever try playing an actual war game with night rules? Uh, Spectre did with it. the lights off or like no no no. <laughs> I'm just wondering if anyone's ever tried it. I mean, I've done it uh, in a couple different game systems, and I've done it in a couple different game systems where one side has some sort of night vision gear and the other side doesn't. Uh, Namely, tank, ba- tank battles in the Middle East. Uh, Spectre does that, game. don't they? They have Spectre, Dougie, um, Robinson, and Carl. Oh, I can't pronounce Carl's surname. Sorry, Carl. I know Carl. When Spectre first rule set came out, they did a, you know, let's run through the rules and test them. So you had a four six-man SEAL team taking on a pack of insurgents with their hostages and, shall we say, the SEALs with NVG at night. Nice. Um, so how did that work? Uh, it, does anyone know? Or? It's the way it works with the rules, if I remember correctly. It, uh, there's lots of different things in the spectrum of rules. One of them is you can say whether your opponent's alert or not alert. Is one thing. So you have an alert status. Um, night vision, uh, night cuts down the ranges. Well, uh, cuts down the ranges for the side that doesn't have NVGs. Yes, night exactly. Vision gear, right. Yeah, yeah. So, from what I can gather from when Carl and Dougie did it, is the seals basically night vision. The opposition were unalert. Uh, suppressed weapons. <laughs> can you it see was very unfair. Yes, can we yeah. see where they, where this is going? You know, it's like. But asymmetrical warfare. It is, but I, yeah. you know, on the same Black side, I thought um, the militia or the op four in this case, there was, I think it was what, two, three to one as yeah. far as numbers. So, you know, as soon as, as, soon as the um, the weapons fire, especially on a, um, uh, in the rules, if they're not suppressed, I 
if I remember correctly, I can't remember because it's been a while since I've played Spectre. Um, I think the opposition become alert. So as soon as there is some sort of combat going on, there is a chance that the opposition go from a, an unalert state to an alert state. Um, the other rule set that I know deals with night fighting is Black Ops by Osprey. Oh, yeah. I, have, I do I not have that rule set. I've got a copy of it on the shelf somewhere along with Rogue Stars. But if I remember correctly, Black Ops has night fighting in it. Uh, night fighting, not night fighting. Might have night fighting in it as well. Um, <laughs> Melee phase. Melee phase, yes. Um, Black Ops has it as well, though. It has uh, rules for stealth and sort of night night engagements. Oh, cool. It's 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 a type of thing that needs to happen, I think, especially in modern and ultra modern combat, because it's gonna happen, you know, you're gonna have you know, you're gonna have both sides, especially if you're dealing with modern Russian and modern, you know, modern Russian, modern China, modern North Korean or whichever op four it is, against a NATO force, the forces are gonna have night vision. Yeah. Well you that's know? I don't know about you, Jim, but we train exclusively for night fighting. Night um, fight uh, American armor doctrine since the late eighties has been even in the daytime always use the night vision sight uh mm -hmm. in a in, in a in a in a tank battle anyway uh where both sides have you know first generation night gear it almost doesn't matter yeah um where it gets interesting is where one side has it and one side doesn't or one side has better night vision gear and the other side doesn't okay. the games i've been playing well they'll be like okay if you know the, the egyptians are trying to break out of this israeli encirclement uh this is on the west bank of the uh sorry east bank of the suez canal 73 um, the, no Israeli force, uh, the, the Egyptians are moving. They have to stick to this road until the first Israeli force is spotted. So even though everyone's got their, their units on the map board, there's no double blind rules. This is what I was asking about. If you guys ever played with double blind rules where literally one side's force is not on the map, the, the, the side that doesn't have night vision gear literally can't see the other guy's units. And then once they do fire, Okay, now you're spotted. You can fire up to four hexes at normal. After that, you can only fire past four hexes if an Israeli unit specifically has fired. And then you're shooting at a negative one. Basically, you're shooting at his muzzle flash. Whereas the Israelis with night vision gear are shooting, you know, as if it was daytime. And again, they're outnumbered like 12 to one, you know. But again, it's an asymmetrical uh, night vision aspect to the game where one side can see what's going on and one side is pretty much fighting blind. So in that case, how would the side with night vision move if they're not on the board? How would you account for that? Well, well, in this in this scenario, um, in this particular scenario, the both sides are on the map. Uh, what I've done is I have experimented with small Panzer Leader games or even uh, Valorant Victory games, kind of like that the spiritual ancestor, not spiritual ancestor, the spiritual descended to advanced squad leader, mm -hmm. where you play with double blind uh, or hidden movement. And that's where you need three players. You need a player, you know, obviously two players, and you need a referee. And you need two complete sets of the board and uh, on different tables. Oh. And, yeah, that's where the and the guy's going back and forth, and he's literally updating both maps. And a unit is not placed on your map until you got a spotting roll, or until he shoots at you, or whatever. And only then do you see him. Meanwhile, you're trying to get from point A to point B, and just not even have because we all have rules in God knows you know all kinds of game systems where oh I can't see that unit because I haven't spotted him yet. It's nighttime, or it's raining, or it's foggy, or he's in trees, but. 
at the same time, the unit, the, the model is there on the table. So you obviously know it's there. Yeah. You have, to, you have to kind of pretend you don't know it's there. But in a true double blind, in a true double, double blind rule set, or not really a rule set, a, a variant on an existing rule set, um, that unit is not on the table, period. And you have to make, you have to look at that map and it's like, okay, there are some trees here. There's a weird, there's a ridge there. There's some buildings there. Where could these guys be hiding? It adds a bit of tension. It adds a lot of tension to where, you know, you literally don't see the physical pieces on the physical board until they shoot at you. And then the game master comes over to your table and says, this guy just took a shot at you. And he puts a little tank on the table or a machine gun nest or something, you know, Oh, by the way, you just lost three guys, but at least he spotted, you know, so that cost you. Yeah. You know, there's... I guess. No, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was thinking as well as if you're doing something like that in, shall we say, modern day. So, say from say the 2000s up, how would drones influence that? Because you know you're going to have your UAVs, your spot eyes, aren't you? That are, oh, that yeah. are buzzing around there, spotted from the air. Yeah. Well, the, um, yeah. between like you know World War II, modern, ultra modern, and into sci-fi. I have found, again, this, this, you know, reasonable people may disagree. I, I've just found that technology is a great problem solver. Mm -hmm. You know, one side has drones. Okay, everything's spotted. Don't worry about it. You know, one side has, you know, night vision gear. Okay, now both sides have night vision gear. Okay, everything's spotted. You know, command rules. Does it really matter who's in command and who's not? Everyone's got radios. Everyone's got comm uplink. Everyone's got... GPS. Everyone knows where everybody is. You know, it's it's when you wind the clock back further through historical periods, then more of these restrictions really start to pile on. We were talking about this a lot during our World War One series, where most World War One games are really only World War Two games that were re-released. I mean, Great War, PSC's Great War, 1918, probably by Battlefront. Most World War One games aren't really World War One games. There are World War II games with some new restrictions. And it's those restrictions going back in time where it's not, you know, the actual machine guns, the tanks, the artillery, those are all largely the same. But it's no one's got a radio. No one's got air support. No one's got air reconnaissance. Nobody's got, you know, wireless communications. And that's where simple things like how a mortar works really changes. And it's down to what can you see? Who can you talk to? You know, that technology behind the technology, that technology behind the weapons, um, where, you know, what got us started on this was the whole night vision goggles on top of the guy's helmet. I mean, do you play that WYSIWYG where this guy cannot see because I don't have the little night vision goggles bolted to his helmet or it how does depends. that part of it? It depends because the, the way I've played Spectre and the way that a lot, lot of the way Spectre is should we say it mentioned on the, especially on the Facebook group, which I do recommend anybody that hasn't joined that is interested. If you go and have a search for Spectre Wargaming miniatures, I think it is. I'll post the link somewhere. Um, my brain doesn't want to work today. Um, is it's a lot of it is in scenario narrative based. So, and there are rules, there are point system in the rules. So you can point up your, your, your guy, so you can point up your tier one with the different gear sets and things like that. Yeah, so you can yeah. point up saying you've got MVGs, you've got a suppressor, you've got um, sub subsonic ammo, you've got a laser dot, things like that. Or the way that I've written, I wrote a, a scenario just to, to get used to doing it. So the idea was I had six uh, special forces operators, and the idea was they were basically uh, SAS 
there was an African village where there were some doctors from Montreal, uh, Doctors Without Borders, doing some vaccination. And there was some, you know, like there'd been a coup or, you know, there was some, you know, militia coming in there to grab the young men. Um, so the doctors were hidden because, you know, Westerners become great um, hostages. And the SES was sent in to rescue the hostages, rescue these people before, you know, before they were found, located by the militia. Bit, bit of play on the um, Tears of the Sun movie you know the bruce willis movie yeah Yeah. so it's a little bit of play play on that um i did a thing with the rule in 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 the rules it's not in the rules but it was a like a special rule in the scenario and that was b is each turn the militia would search a building and if they rolled a six they located the the westerners so you, you technically had a time delay on it um to to get into that but I just pointed out, I didn't really point it out, I just said, the Special Forces guys have all got this. And what I did as well was I looked at the miniature, because I got a, a set of the, the 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 SAS jungle miniatures, which really do look nice. Yeah, they do. Um, so I just said, right, so that guy's got an auto shotgun and an M4. There's a guy there with a with a um, an M219, uh, M249. There's, the rest of them have got... Um, M4s, I think they are. So I just went through and went, well, they've got that, they've got that. They've got jungle packs, so they're probably going to have this, this, and this, and a couple of them had grenades and things. So I just built it out as, you know, as you would for the scenario and gave the opposition, they had a couple of tentacles, lots of M4, lots of AKs, lots, you know, a couple of RPGs, you know, because it was a ragtag militia type of force. But the way you only had six special forces guys you had about 30 militia yeah so you know it's that it's that sort of off kilter yes they might not be well trained but they have lots of numbers and if they do score you know if you get into an open firefight with them without using smoke or whatever it can become quite lethal for the for the special forces guys so that's how that's how i do it any scenario that i come up with especially using spec that is I come up with the idea of the scenario, then look at what the opposition force, look at what the the blue force is going to be and look at what red force is going to be. Excellent. But you can point it, but you can point it up. Yeah. 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 Well, points are great. If I think, if, if I understand what you're saying correctly, Ralph, if, if you use them almost like retroactively, yeah. Not like, okay, we're going to have a 500-point game. Okay, no. um, I'm going to have uh, two points of goggles and one point of goggles. No. No. Here's the force. Here's what I've got. Here's the story. Now, how many um, insurgent militia do I need to make this a balanced game? I need mm-hmm. 37 militia. because yeah. uh, you know, because Not because you know both sides were aiming at the same target. One side, for the story, or for the narrative, had X amount. Mm-hmm. Okay, in order to make the game fun and interesting for both players, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, turns out that I've got yeah three hundred points worth of in uh, of uh, operators. I'm going to have three hundred points worth of insurgents. Um, yeah. Right. The, the other the other thing as well, which um which is interesting for anybody that's interested in looking at a breakdown of a of a unit, especially in, uh, for Spectre, is Michael Charge on his blog um, last year. I think it was posted up some quick breakdowns. So he pointed up like if a. a six-man SWAT team, a six-man criminal team, you know, for things like that. So, you know, it was just like a balance between the two op forces. So he did like a a, a six-man SAS team. He did a six-man or eight-man 
um, uh, GRU Spetsnaz team and stuff. So you, so you can actually look at how that's done and that gives you a really good basis. If you're just getting used to using the rules and you want something really quick, you know, that Michael's blog is really good for looking at that. And then you're able to, oh, well, he, this is the, this is a sample force. I'll use that. And then move, you know, then you've got your, your forces set up ready. You know, I was thinking about the night rules that Jim had brought up a little earlier. I still think it'd be a good idea to turn off the lights and play NVGs. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm going to be the first one to admit. I still have my SPH-4. That's the helicopter crew helmet. Um, I do put it on and play games once in a while just for that old time feeling. So, you know, I you just admitted that you just admitted that to a former Marine supply clerk. I'm going to call my old friends. And you're going to say, Hey, are, is anyone missing a helmet? Yeah, well, yeah, let me tell I, you I a little story. So, uh, I was issued this helmet, didn't sign for it and went turning all my stuff, you know, my flight gear and everything. And, the helmet wasn't on the list. <laughs> I can't help it that there was a snafu. Yeah, so well, I have that's a, a supply guy not doing his job. I have a brand yeah, new have... SPH four aviators helmet sitting right on my bookshelf right there. So, oh yeah, good days, good days. Chris, you've been awfully with... quiet. What's going on? Uh, just listening to you guys. <laughs> I I ended up with a K pot, ODs couple pairs of boots because they all switched to new uniforms when i was leaving the military <laughs> they didn't want them back they just said here keep them yeah there's there's ways of getting you know good military yeah. surplus now you can't though not not with our uniforms they're really they're they're really careful about uh even where i work uh-huh. if we get a set of them in uh-huh we have to, we have to get rid of them we have to trash what? them why yeah because uh, the the uh, government here in Canada doesn't want uh, CADPAT getting out. They don't want any of it uh, being used for unscrupulous purposes. Really? Boy, here in the yeah. U.S., you can go to just about any department store and find something in camouflage. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Same in the U.K. <laughs> so, Jim, I know you got a few things that you would like to update news-wise. Oh, uh, super fast. Um, again, I... I Everyone knows I'm more of a the operational command tactical hex encounter guy. Um, if anyone's not aware of this, this isn't so much of a of a news bulletin as as a shout out. If anyone is, um, you know, as far as like a quick way to get into modern wargaming, if you're ever interested into it, um, Strategy and Tactics magazine. Okay, that's a buy. Uh, that, that's a uh, one a once every two month magazine that comes out. Um, they've been coming out with for like oh man. 30, 40, 50 years. They've been coming out with issues since I can't remember when. A long, long, long time. Um, it's a military history magazine, but what it does is that it takes it through kind of a wargaming perspective. Now, these are going to be, you know, our, our uh, you know, game board, hex encounter kind of games, our more operational level, you know, divisions and core and armies kind of a game. But nevertheless, there's a lot of wargaming uh, information in there what the men are equipped with, what their uniforms look like, what vehicles are driving around and things like that. And uh, again, strategy and tactics was going on for years, uh, you know, on end. And then in the last five years or so, maybe a little longer than five years, maybe like the last 10 years or so, they've kind of uh, calved off two spinoff publications. One is World at War, 
which strictly deals only with World War II, um, because they, I guess they realize that half of their every issue is always about World War II. So they said, okay, we're just going to give World War II its own um, publication. And the one that I'm talking about for this podcast is uh, Strategy and Tactics Modern War. So I just picked up uh, earlier tonight, in fact, I just picked up uh, issue 39. That's their January, February issue, um, in which they talk about all kinds of things. Um, the first one is um, possibilities for a war in Iran if Russia decides to head south and uh, and you know start poking around in Iran. So every one of these game, every one of these issues um, is greatly illustrated. It's got all kinds of uh, war gaming experts in there. You know, Ty Bomb is in there. Uh, Joseph Rain is in there. He's you know all these all these uh, game designers are in there. They publish a new game in every issue, or yeah, the, the game doesn't come in the issue, but they talk about the game or whatever. And then you can buy the game if you want. You mail in for it, or you go to the website and, and order it in. But the the magazine is all the background information about this. So they're talking about, you know, what is really going on in Iran right now. Like, surprisingly amounts of high-detailed information. We were talking a couple podcasts ago, G, about, uh, you know, no one's been able to come up with a good map of, uh, of Mogadishu for um, Day of the Rangers. Uh, Modern War had a perfect down-to-the-individual-building map of that, um, like, three or four issues ago. Um, so they have, some, they have some pretty good information in here. In this issue, they talk again. They talk about the Iranians. They talk about the Karar tank. It looks kind of like a T seventy two T ninety kind of an upgrade, uh, down to like what types of tanks they're using, how many tanks, what their production schedule is going to be over the next twenty or thirty years. I was surprised to learn that they still have forty four of those F fourteen C Tomcats yeah. that we sold to Shaw. I didn't think any of those things were still flying, but apparently they've got forty four of them still in the air. Uh, we were talking about Hercules. They still have 100. They still have C-130 Hercules flying around. All their strategic and IRBM weapons, uh, the Fateh uh, 110 and the Ahmad R IRBMs. How you know frighteningly advanced those things are getting. Uh, the game for this issue is Axis of Evil. Again, it, it, it postulates that um, Russia kind of leads this Eurasian coalition. That's probably Kurdistan. Turkmenistan, you know, all the other stans over there, you know, let's get together and let's invade Iran or and, and try to get some of that oil or access to the Persian Gulf. And of course, the U.S. NATO response. Uh, of course, the first line of defense there is Turkey. One of the, you know, uh, NATO member states that, that are, are going to be intimately involved in a war like that. Wild cards like Iraq, terrorism, what's going on with the Kurds, that's going to, you know, be in that in that region. Again, it's not going to be like, you know, the miniatures and the Spectre kind of a game that, you know, maybe like a lot of people who listen to this podcast are really into. But if you're into your background and you want to try something that's a little bit different besides, oh, you know, here comes special forces are going to kick down the door and, you know, shoot up Al Qaeda or whatever. Uh, this latest issue talks all about Op Plan 5015. This is the uh, all of our preparations as much as is not classified all of our preparations for what is really going to happen if things kick off again in Korea. Um, they list the complete ROK order of battle. It talks about the ROK Type 88 tank. Um, talks about all their weapons, all the way down to individual weapons, you know, the rifles and machine guns. Uh, it does the same thing with the uh, North Korean Pe uh, People's Army. Uh, talks about all their operational commands, naval units, aircraft types, artillery, mobile, uh, multiple launch rocket systems where the divisions are all deployed. If you really want to take a serious look about how the next war in Korea might kick off, if it started today, modern war might give you an answer. And 
if you're running an RPG or if you're thinking about a different kind of uh, war game, um, a more tactical, you know, a 28 millimeter miniature war game, and you want to try something different for seven bucks an issue, you know, give modern warfare a try. You'll come up with some new ideas of nothing else. The Sino Indian Wars that everyone forgets about. Um, down to the locations, I'm looking at the map right now in front of me, the estimated locations of Chinese nuclear assets in Tibet, as far as we know. And as far as isn't classified, obviously, this is just a public magazine. It's, it's not like it's coming off the desk of the CIA here, but um, I'm always surprised by what they know and what's actually publicly available and what's actually out there. And again, it's might not be your thing, but for background, for ideas, for inspiration, especially for some, you know, lateral outside the box kind of modern warfare thinking. Um, yeah, I always give uh, I always give modern warfare a try. Is that January, February's issue you said? Yep. All right, I'm writing this down. <laughs> uh, yeah, strategy and tactics uh, is the is the name of the of the parent publication, and then if you go to their website, uh, you can buy like bank issues or whatever for. Um, you know, again, World of Wars, strategy and tactics is Napoleonic, uh, you know, American Civil War, who knows what, ancient Rome they have in there all the time, you know, the Carthaginians, stuff, you know, all over the place. And then for their two uh, children magazines or whatever, their two child publications, specifically zone in on World War II and modern war. And would they say modern war? Uh, this is another thing I've been meaning to bring up for a while. Um <laughs> For the operational and strategic guy or whatever, you know, or, or war gamer, modern war is pretty much anything after 1945. Yeah. So some people might not agree with that definition of modern war. Like, oh, my God, it's 1945. That's, you're fighting with World War II weapons. From the operational and strategic standpoint, 1945 is the dividing line because 1945 is after the bomb. And yeah. once you have the bomb, war is now limited. There's no more Clausewitzian, you know, total war. Everyone stops building refrigerators and starts building tanks, you know, kind of a war. That's, that's not going to happen anymore. Everything becomes much more of a Sunza kind of a model of warfare. And we have seen these limited engagements, Algeria, the Suez, Vietnam, you know, all over the place, Southeast Asia. Um, so anything after 1945 is what that particular periodical covers. It's it's a good idea for stuff. They've had stuff on um, Ukraine in there at, at least twice. Okay, I'm gonna and, have to go check it out. And uh, at, at least twice, and at least every other issue. I'll put it to you this way: <laughs> I'm actually only somewhat kidding about this. At least every other issue, the name Putin is in the title of the issue. <laughs> Putin moves south. Putin's mm. next 20 years. Putin's strategy. What's Putin going to do? Putin's under, hiding under my bed. Putin's in the closet. Where's Putin? You know, he's... Uh, <laughs> That's a new children's book, isn't it? Where's there Putin? you go. Where's Putin? Where's Putin? Chris, you oh, have had mentioned something about um, an, the Ultra Combat yeah, um, first the, there's some news from the uh, Kickstarter from Radio Dish Dash. Um, the they have the money now, so because you have to wait a certain amount of time before uh, Kickstarter sends you the, or provides the funds to you. So they've got the money. Um, the, the first 18 miniatures are they're test casting them. Yeah. And they're doing the first spins to test pressure for the, the the casting, so they can get the you know, the best castings out of the mold. Um, and they should be sending out the first 24-page PDF that they promised 
and it should probably be around the end of January. And the other news from uh, them is the um, Ultra Combat Normandy is up for pre-sale on their website as well. So that's uh, a similar rule set, but World War II. Nice. So. That's the this only... was like the skirmish sanguine style game, but for 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 larger formations. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's by a team upwards, isn't it? So it's like yes. four man, four man yeah, squad, up to large platoons. You know. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And then what you like, Jim, is the ranges are all realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's what I've yeah. been hearing from uh, Colin about the World War Two Normandy. Uh, the Ultra Combat no- Normandy is going to be the. You're not going to see ranges 42 inches on stuff, and you're you're not. You're very rarely going to use a ruler or a tape measure because the ranges are going to be f- realistic. So, awesome. I do think Ultra Combat might be might go become my go to World War Two rule set. I think. Yeah. Huh. Other ones for for squad level, so for bolt action sized units I think ultra combat might be the one especially looking at it and stuff like that looking at the the, the rules and stuff I think it's just going to be a nice system to use you know from 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 a point of view of, of, of being engaging you know we've all played lots of different World War 2 games and the big one being the one by Warlord of course yeah. but that's a popcorn game yeah and you know, I'm I'm now at the point where I want something a little bit more than just a popcorn game. Beer and pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, because it is our holiday special, how about a Christmas wish list for the upcoming year? Um, I'll start it off to give you guys a little flavor. So, one of my things on a Christmas wish list is, and it's not necessarily solely modern. Wargaming, um, I would like to see the rebirth of Avalon Hill. There you go. Um, go. I'd like to see it come back to the glory and the amazing company that it once was producing some amazing games, but obviously it needs to be updated. Um, You know, not all of their games weathered the years. Um, Some of them, Jim would probably say that there's, even his favorite games, he's probably tweaked a little bit to streamline and Oh, Panzer Blitz. I'm going to be buried in my casket with a box of Panzer Blitz. (laughs) I'm serious about that. Uh, I mean, people have always heard me talk about it, but I fully admit that game out of the box is tragically flawed. Mm. People have been been rewriting that game for 40 years, and uh, they're still doing it, but absolutely. Yeah, those those were the games back in the day. I mean... Again, this is uh, this is the 1970s and early 1980s. This uh, is before everybody had a Commodore 64 on their desk, so to speak. Before everyone had an Atari 2600, followed by a Nintendo Entertainment System, followed by followed by followed by. Before Netflix, before Hulu, before everything else came along to distract us. Uh, I think people's attention spans are nowhere near as long as they used to be. So um, there are some people who are trying. Uh, gee, I think your Christmas list might not be as far off as you might think. Um, I always mention Valor and Victory as like an updated, slimmed down version of Advanced Squad Leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are people who are trying. You're not alone in the wilderness, so take hope. 
<laughs> there's some valiant effort out there. Um, and then the second part would be, I would just like to see modern gaming expand um, and see more offerings. How? I don't know because, you know, you are truly limited by scale. You could always go down in scale. Um, but then the rule sets have to adjust. I, there's a lot of work, but I think there's a lot of growth in this genre. And I think there's a lot of promise. And I think the companies that are leading the way right now, you know, Spectre and Skirmish and, um, you know, some of the other miniatures companies like Empress and all those, they have produced some really great stuff. I would just like to see more. Um, I'd like to see it get a little bit more mainstream. I, I think the Spectre guys attending Adepticon is very promising um, because that is truly the premier miniature wargaming event here in the U.S. Um, you know, that's all it is, is miniature wargaming. They've added some board gaming and some cards, you know, because of Fantasy Flight being a big sponsor. But all in all, it's still true um, miniature wargaming, and it's nice to see that happening. I, I'm still toying with the idea of my rule set where it's all simultaneous action. Um, I've been thinking about that since I mentioned it a couple of shows ago where, you know, it's not you go, I go, it's we go together and it's, you know, real time. Do I move this guy? Does this guy shoot? Does this guy move? I'm in overwatch, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so are you uh, talking about like something like, like a phased movement system? <sighs> Well, where you literally, I'm going to move this squad of guys, and at the same time, the other player's moving his guys or setting up positions or whatever the case may be. Somehow we have to declare that, but then it all happens at the same time. So, um, okay. yeah, I don't know how it would work. I'm, you know, kicking around the idea, and it's it's a fun, exciting project. You could do it with if if you had a set map. Uh -huh. Say, for example, that you had set scenarios with set maps. Each player gets a map with a, with a hex grid on, uh -huh. and you could use dry white markers, so it's like a hidden movement. Okay. So it's a bit, a bit like the talk, you know, a bit like the way X-Wing works with the hidden talk with the tokens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have, you, you decide, I'm going to move forward, say, three. Uh -huh. Yeah? You okay. could do something like that, where you flip the token over, or you show. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, you, you could do almost do that. To, yeah, people have people have messed with this and tried different solutions. Again, um, okay, GW, the people who came out with Twilight Two Thousand, Traveler Twenty Three Hundred, they're not. Known, yeah, exactly, right. They're not. They're not known for lightweight games. No, they're not. They came out with, with uh, almost like a great grandchild of Panzer Leader called Assault. And Assault was a game that came out in nineteen eighty five or nineteen eighty three, about nineteen eighty five. It's Team Yankee done right. Like, for real. Team Yankee done in, like, uh, Panzer Leader scale, where you have, again, the better part of a brigade on the map. Maybe a thousand guys, a couple hundred tanks. Um, but all the counters were reversible, and you would have everything flipped over, and that flipped over side of the counter would only show an arrow. And that arrow shows the facing and direction of the unit, and also its formation. And it shows that by how the counter is sitting in the hex. But the point is, then you would also, depending on who's got better electronic warfare... Who's got electronic dominance in the battle space? Who's got better air recon? I guess nowadays you could also bump that up to drones. The other side is going to have more uh, dummy counters. And these are just basically blind counters with that same arrow on the back. And you put them down. And it it doesn't give you phased movement. And it doesn't give you uh, hidden movement. But if you are smart with the way you play your dummy counters, 
you can really freak your opponent out. You can <laughs> launch attacks where there are no attacks, and he masses this big counter force over there, and then there's nothing there. You can, uh, you know, fake him out in a different direction. You can pretend that you're strong when you're weak, and pretend that you're weak when you're strong. And it's, and then also for Panzer Leader, people used to uh, play around with the idea of phased movement. And this only worked with small unit games, like uh, maybe 10 counter or 10 total units per side. And they would take the total number of the of units. Uh, I'm sorry, they would take the, the fastest unit, the fastest movement in the uh, whatever scenario you were playing. They would take the fastest unit in that scenario and divide the movement phase into that many steps. And then, okay, step, like, say the fastest unit was a 10. Okay, we're going to divide the movement phase into 10 steps. Uh, step one, the unit that moving 10 is moving one hex. On step two, anyone moving on two? No. On step three, okay, maybe now a couple. So your units are literally taking simultaneous movement. It's a real pain, but it does give you that feeling where your tank is driving across the field, and now, okay, gee, you're, you move out with a stug. I see your stug halfway through my movement phase, but because it's all simultaneous, I can now bolt back into the woods. I can charge forward. I can stop where I'm at. I can take a shot. I can... You know, it's the, 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 the concept is the, the rules are called phased movement. Uh -huh. um, it's a pain. Uh, it is a lot of work and it only works with small, like a small unit count in a game, but it does do simultaneous movement as well as simultaneous fire. And um, it's challenging. And again, it, it does crank up that tension. Um, I just don't know if I would try it with a, uh, you know, that, that uh, Gaza Strip game I was describing earlier in the podcast. Sure. That, that <laughs> <laughs> That'd be unreal. It's, uh, the other I'm thing sorry, as well you could start, sorry Jim, the other one you could think look at as well is um where you want about the you know the dummy tokens and things like that the avp board game uses ping tokens mm -hmm. so on one side is just a talk on one side it's just either an alien head or the marine symbol or a predator symbol and you don't know what it is until it comes within range of the sensor or whatever and you flip it over and then it shows either to be say a hunter or the alien queen or something like that something else to think about or could sure. it be nothing or nothing uh, could it no, be? I, uh, could... with the predators yes because it could be a if i remember correctly with the predators because of the cloaking shield right it could be a dummy you know, so so you know, it's just other ways of thinking about that 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 movement. You know, um, I'm guessing as well is even if you can't do the movement completely simultaneous. What what I think Ralph and I are talking about is if you can force one player or the other or both to make their move based on limited information. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's going to give you that same kind of a feeling. Yep. Awesome. So, all right, Ralph, you're up. What do you want for Christmas? Um, lots of Spectre miniatures, thank you very much. <laughs> Matt? I think, Steven, I think you're I'm out there. so looking forward to seeing what they're coming out in the next 12 months. Really, I'm looking forward to see what they're going to do. Hopefully, we'll get with drone, we'll get with drone rules, which will be an interesting uh, addendment to their rule set. Um because you know where I was on about I'm not interested in beyond pretzel games. Spectre can be a beyond pretzel game, mm -hmm. um, but you can add depth to it by doing the narrative thing and having linking scenarios and having consequences to certain things. So the one I wrote with the um, the doctors 
my idea was is if the doctors get caught, it would have went to scenario two, which would have been a rescue mission from a more heavily armored compound. Okay. Where where the militia may have had a BPM one, a BPMP one, you know, and okay. the technical, so more heavy firepower and they were more alert. Or, you know, a, a, an offshoot of that could have been they've rescued the hostage and they're making their way back to the landing zone and they get attacked or they get pursued. So, you know, you can you can branch off and make it more in-depth, you know, with, with the narrative story that you want to tell and make it more fun for the scenarios. But from almost, a minute, like a, um, almost like a like a almost like a almost like a campaign tree kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah, campaign Ooh. tree, you know, like That's almost cool. like a choose your own adventure type of thing, you know, and and moving forward. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing, especially with their vehicles. Because like I said, this this um this Humvee I picked up is is really nice kit. Really easy to put together as well. I've seen some kits, you know, that are right pain in the behind to put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I had a little bit of an issue with my warrior that I got from Empress, which is a meaty kit. It's a really heavy piece of resin, uh, but it didn't come with any rules. Didn't come with any instructions. Yeah. To put together, and if if you don't know what one looks like, or there's an issue with it, or whatever, you know, it can cause a bit of a pain. This was just so easy to put together, and it's got some nice touches as well as on the back. I've put an antenna, and but on the back bumper where you can attach the stuff. Is the groove is is marked out so you can just take the piece that comes, clean it off a bit, and slot it straight in. So because the you buy the basic V and then you buy all the attaching accessories that you want, so you can completely customize the look that you want to go for it as well. Okay. So really looking forward to just seeing what they bring out with their miniatures as well. You know, with, they've done their Russians, they've done their FFs, the FSB lot with the fifty cal assault weapons. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Ralph's new favorite is the yeah. Well, no, I've picked up the um, I've got the Spetsnaz set that they did. I've got the full set of those Spetsnaz troopers they've done, and they've got the Russian. It's got the um backpack, so you've got the heavy LMG with the backpack belt fed. Scorpion. Yeah. Scorpion backpack. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the scorpion backpack all molded in as well, and it's just it's a nice. Just some nice miniatures. They really are. Excellent. All right, Jim, you're up. What do you want for Christmas or for 2019? Uh, if I could wave a magic wand and have whatever I wanted, I would love to see... Because um, I've always been a fan, obviously, of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, it's one of my favorite modern war uh, settings uh, to explore. Um. I do enjoy uh, Flames of War probably more than some people think, especially 4th edition, but I've always had a bit of an issue with Fate of a Nation. And again, nothing wrong with the system, but uh, again, we were talking about earlier in the podcast, the 1967 war really has maybe three battles in it. um, Abu Aguil, that's Sharon's division, uh, the Gaza Strip battle I was just talking about, that's Tall Division, and then there's some good infantry battles up north uh, in, in the Golan Heights. And then if you want to talk about the paratroopers in the streets of Jerusalem, maybe. But, I mean, 1967 was not really a big... Uh, there isn't a lot of depth there to explore wargaming. However, I would love to see a... Uh, not so much Flames of War, because that's you can only kind of stretch that rule set so far into the future. 
instead of Battlefront doing a Flames of War World War II sequel for 1967, how about a Team Yankee prequel 1973 Yom Kippur War, where the Egyptians and the Syrians pose a much greater threat to the Israeli uh, Defense Force. The Israelis actually lose a lot of those battles. It's the one war the Israelis didn't really start. And uh, they're really on the back foot for a long, long time. That's that's the IDF really getting taken to the mat. And, um, I mean, not to make any kind of a political statement, but just from a wargaming perspective, I mean, that's where the battles really get serious. You can really dig your feet into uh, into the sand, so to speak, and, and get some get some interesting results on a tabletop. A Team Yankee prequel for uh, Yom Kippur War would include all of the helicopter rules. Helicopters played a much bigger role in uh, Yom Kippur as opposed to uh, Six Day War. And even more importantly, um, guided munitions. You have the Israelis with uh, the tow for the first time they were using, and especially the Egyptians with the AT-3 Sagger. Um, which, again, has no real correlation to World War II, but obviously in Team Yankee, you've got all kinds of guided weapons flying around. I think it would be a great system. I think it would be a great chance to maybe get some T-62s on the table. Uh, Lord knows they already got a bunch of T-55s out there. Um, M-48s, Shermans, even the first M-60s are out there. Not the first, like the M-60, yeah, the M-60A1s are out there. Um, I think it would be a great system. Uh, I think it would be a fun thing to try for uh, an expansion for the Battlefront line. I've got an amendment as well to sort of to mine what I would like to see for Christmas. And this is going back to something that we all know, as Jim mentioned, and I am, I'm, I'm a fan of Twilight 2000 as well. I would yeah. like to see them update that intro setting because remember it was set eight up to the year 2000, wasn't it? So it was from about 1980 yeah. up to that. I'd like to see them to bring that forward and rewrite it for, say... They did it. Did they do it with the new edition? Yeah, yeah they did it with oh, the really? new edition. I'm pretty sure they did. Because I, I had a look and I noticed it was still under the Twilight 2000 banner and I just couldn't see anywhere with the the, the background they, being updated. I think that was 2014 they did it. Mm, I'll have to have a look at it because that's yeah. the fourth edition or third edition, I think, with the updated. I didn't even know it was still in print. I don't it was, who who it was prints it? Cause, cause it, was a, it was a uh, new company. New company took it over. It's on drive through. Drive through RPG has it. Um, I'll find it now. Um, the, the, the original, the original Twilight Two Thousand War goes from uh, again. It came out in, in the mid eighties. So yeah. uh, the war starts off in the dark future of nineteen ninety five. It did. Yeah. The Chinese and the Soviets, uh, and a pretty, they, they pretty much blow up the world um, in five years. They have World War Three last five years. And it's July of 2000 when everything just completely falls apart. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a 45-minute apocalypse. Like I mean, you guys know, obviously. I'm not, but for people who are listening to the podcast, um, it's 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 more like Mad Max. You know, where it's yeah. like the, the, the world kind of falls apart gradually. The world takes such amount of damage. The infrastructure, the communications, the, the economies, the militaries, the governments, that things just slowly start to – and one of the great things I love about the Twilight 2000 system – or not the system, the setting, is it's not, okay, the Russians launched, we launched, everything blows up. The apocalypse is not an even event. You know, like when Rome fell in, you know, the 5th century, it, there were some parts of the world that were still really advanced, some not so much. It, uh, when an apocalypse comes, it doesn't hit everywhere at once with equal force. And you had these enclaves in Twilight 2000 where things were still pretty much okay. You had Mexico was still in good shape. France was still in good shape. 
America, Poland, Russia, not so much. Um, China, definitely not, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, I didn't even know that they were still writing stuff. So what, did, did they call it like Twilight 2020 or something? Or uh, T20, T2013. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, so they did it up to 2013. I never noticed that. I knew they'd done a third edition because it's the third edition. And it's under Games Design Workshop as well. So Game Designers Workshop is still in business? It seems to be. That's the name that they're, they oh, are, they are, they are pushing, pushing it under. Um, I'll take out the link. Because there's the other one as well, which we both, you know, we all think, as well as um, Cataclysm Games have got the rights and have been producing Battletech. Uh, you mean Catalyst Game Labs? Catalyst, Catalyst. Games, yeah. Catalyst yeah. Lab, yeah. So yeah, I we, know we, that... We did an interview with Ray Arastia uh, for the Battletech series a couple years ago. Yeah. That was that was even before the video game dropped. So God knows that they're, they're really uh, doing pretty well lately. They are. They're, they're really pushing stuff out. But yeah, um, GDW seemed to still exist in a role-playing form because... When you look at this list, yeah, it's got Traveller, New Era, Mark, oh. Miller's, Mark Miller's Traveller, Classic Traveller, Twilight 2000, Dark Conspiracy, War Games. These are, all, these are all like new releases. I don't know because I've got War Games of GDW. Hmm. That's one for you there, Jim, because it's got that's, bright lances on. and that's awesome. got a, a T2000 Korean Peninsula yes, source. Yes, I saw that as well. That's that, huh. see that one. Interesting. Interesting. The world right. just became a little less bleak. Merry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Chris, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, let's see. Um, more 3D printers. <laughs> more 3D printers. I want to print more scenery for modern. I want to make new modern terrain and uh vehicles so yeah I, i'd say i want a new printer the my second thing probably would be i would like to go to a con this year like like adepticon or gen con or something well you know chris adepticon is in chicago yes. it's the hub of the united states i know some people that have plenty of space so you wouldn't have to find a hotel <laughs> we could probably get you on as crew for Beast of War, so we even have to pay for a pass. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. I might have to think have about to that. About, I, I know uh, some people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds She's good. in the biz. That's all. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> so, yeah, everybody's got to experience a con. Um, you know, yeah. we've had the privilege to go to. Pretty much all the major ones here. I have not hit Historicon yet. Um, I was just going to say, when are we doing Historicon? Uh, I would love to put it on the calendar that, for this year. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of at a weird place. but It's in Virginia, right? Or do they move yeah. it? Um, Last I heard, they always have it like right around Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah. so I definitely would like to go to it. Um, I hear it's pretty amazing. So, um, But uh, yeah. When I was in the States in 2015, when we, when we came over to see my wife's parents, because uh, or her mom, uh, who is no longer with us, uh, my wife's from Ohio. So we went out, and it was the week or two weeks before, is it WizardCon, the RPG one, or DragonCon? Origins? Origins. 
thank you, Jim. Yeah, okay. it was it was the it was two weeks before Origins. Just timed it so we were like totally two, a guess. Two weeks. <laughs> I think it is Origins because um we went to one of the restaurants there and they were short there, and we when we came home we went and picked up the like the the brochure. I had a look at the brochure online. We were there's um and they were showing off the the origins mugs that were given away these glass tankards uh-huh. that were all etched and things like that with with like the logo of origins and D logo and things on the back and people could have picked them up and it was like damn timed that wrong didn't we <laughs> well that's one thing uh our conventions here in the u.s you probably you usually get a pretty good swag bag um you know for attending um john con eh, it's too big but like Adepticon, yeah. you know, you've seen our unbaggings videos um, that we do on the VIG swag bag. It's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, does the, Gen Con even have any war games? I mean, or is uh, it mostly like board games? They have a little bit of everything. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's... they do. Um, yeah, they they have some. Um, there's one that they do every year that's pretty popular, and I cannot remember the name of it. But it's based on World War One biplane dogfighting. Um, uh, Dawn Patrol, Wings of Glory, somewhere along that, but it's almost like a homebrew. And oh, okay. you know, in the in the planes, I want to say they're what scale would they be? Um, probably one sixtieth scale biplanes, yeah, roughly. Uh, so I know they're not one one hundred. Picking up for some color. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's pretty interesting, and it's always popular. Everybody plays it. Um, you know, I yeah, they do have war games there. Of you know, they pretty much any game that you can find on planet Earth, you can find there. But it's finding format. it though, isn't it, with Gen Con because it is massive. Um, you, know? you know, we say it every year. The stuff we cover for Gen Con is one eighth of what yeah. there really huh. is to see. Uh, we just can't cover it all, not with the group that we have, uh, because you, you know. We're pretty much stuck on the vendor area for the most part. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see the full experience of the game floors. It's not only that whole convention center plus the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, which is where the Indianapolis Colts play football. They've taken over the stadium, and then they have five hotels surrounding that that they do events as well. So it's, yeah. it's we used to have there used to be a Gen Con UK. Actually, we used to have Gen Con in the UK as well. Yeah. We used to do what was Gen Con Europe. Um, I think that's possibly before Essen became what it is. Um, but there was a Gen Con Europe that used to be run in London. Um, and it was like Gen Con Europe and Gen Con US at the same t- sort of the same. They ran the same year. So you had one earlier in the year, one at the back end of the year. Yeah. And I never, I never got around to, to going to it. And I mean, something that I've talked to my missus about at some point. It's, it's on the wish list. Well, you got to at least hit UK Games Expo, Ralph. You know, at some point, yeah. One like well, the one I wanted to go to, which which was the main one, would be for me is Salute. Uh, Salute's know. amazing. I, it's it, you yeah. know we've uh, covered it twice. <laughs> um, the year you know we did it two years in a row. Then we went to UK last year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to make the hop over mm-hmm. to uh, the UK. But it's amazing that they can do all that in a day and a half because they they get yeah. in Friday afternoon to set up. They open at 10 o'clock, and they're closed by 4, and you have to be out by 6. So, you know, it's amazing what they can do in that time span. So, so the whole thing only lasts six hours? Yeah. Salute does, yes. Yes. Well, yeah. That's almost a waste. <laughs> 
Well, uh, it's, it's I, a, I never well, the problem is it's run by a private game club, uh, the South London Warlords. <laughs> um, they rent, they physically rent out that space from the convention, yeah. uh, which is owned by UAE, I believe, um, the Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and the cost is huge. They couldn't afford yeah. a full weekend, so and it's more of a shopping thing than a convention. It, yeah, it's it's get all the vendors together and go and basically look at all the shiny and buy. <laughs> yeah, I mean they have some games, um, but there's no tournaments. There's nothing like that. They have some demos, some participation games, very limited. Uh, but it's mostly all the vendors in UK. Europe come and uh, get you know miniature based war gaming, and they show their wares, they sell it, and they they're gone. So it's not like our conventions here. No. Well, it's been a great show. Any last comments for anybody to our listeners out there as we wrap up our holiday special? Uh, just Merry Christmas, everybody! Happy holidays yep. and all sixes for 2019. All right. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody listening and want to wish a very Merry Christmas to everybody that's serving overseas. Most definitely. Most definitely. So we will be back after the uh, new year. Um, We're going to close out the show here with a special audio presentation of The Soldier's Night Before Christmas. If you've not heard it, it brings tears to my eyes every time I hear it. Um, My children gave me a copy of it many years ago when I was away on uh, orders, so and I wasn't with them for Christmas. So uh, we want to wish everybody out there again a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, a safe New Year, and we will see you in 2019. It was the night before Christmas. He lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give, and to see just who in this dwelling did live. I looked all around, a strange sight to see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stockings on the mantel, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of far distant lands. Medals and badges Awards of every kind. A sobering thought came alive in my mind. This house was different. It was dark, it was dreary. I had found the home of a soldier. I could see that most clearly. The soldier lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in this one-bedroom home. His face was so gentle, the room in such disorder, not at all how I pictured a United States soldier. Was this the hero of whom I just read, curled up on a poncho, the floor for a bed? Then I realized the other families that I saw this night owed their lives to soldiers who were willing to fight. In the morning round the world, children would play. Grown-ups would celebrate a bright Christmas day. 
But they all enjoy freedom each month of the year because of soldiers like the one lying here. I couldn't help but wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in lands far from home. The very thought brought a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. The soldier awakened. I heard his rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. The soldier rolled over and drifted to sleep. But I couldn't control it and I continued to weep. I kept watch for hours. So silent and still as both of us shivered from the cold night's chill. I didn't want to leave him on that cold, dark night, this guardian of honor, so willing to fight. Then the soldier rolled over with a voice soft and pure. He whispered, carry on, Santa. It's Christmas Day, all secure. One look at my watch, I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. May God bless you this night.